Our scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. There is there no there is no more beautiful passage than Isaiah 9, is there? What truth. We've been talking about peace on earth. Peace on earth. Do you find peace to be elusive today? Okay, one person does. All right. Everybody else is feeling good. All right. I don't know about you guys, but I find peace to be elusive in the big things and in the little things. I came up here to do announcements and my tablet wasn't working right. You all saw that. You witnessed that. Man, that stole my peace, right? I forgot to say what Jack was doing. I didn't didn't know what I was talking about. Peace was robbed right out of my life. All kinds of things are stealing our peace, aren't they? The one I just said is small, it's little. Some of us are going through really big and difficult things that have stolen peace from us. Relationships broken. Illness. Death. Societal problems and justice. We all know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. What you might not know is that the 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas Day. Did you know that? That Christmas Day is the first day of Christmas, and then it extends into, into January. In, in uh, Advent, in the season of Advent, in traditional liturgical Advent, so if we were, if we were High Church Anglicans or Episcopalians or something, uh, you wouldn't see all these decorations in the church yet. 
You, you keep it dark, you keep it gloomy until Christmas Eve. Because that's what Advent is. Advent is, is waiting. Advent means arrival, but the idea is you're waiting for this arrival and you wait in the darkness. You wait in the gloom. So, lots of songs that sound a little bit more like dirges instead of joy to the world, like we sang, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the truth is, Christmas makes no sense at all without first understanding the darkness. And did you notice that in our reading today? I actually asked Brandon to go back a verse or two in the reading into chapter 8. They looked on earth, but behold, distress and darkness, gloom, anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah 8, 22. That's where we must begin our conversation about Christmas. Where do we find peace? That's the title of our sermon this morning. Where to find peace? From Isaiah chapter 9. Where do we find peace this morning? Number one, peace is not found in removal from darkness, but in the entrance of light. Peace is not found in, the, in our removal from darkness, but in the entrance of light. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. God did not say, let there be no more darkness. That's not what's said. What does God say in Genesis 1? Let there be light. So there was darkness. He, does, he doesn't say, end the darkness, because that would make no sense scientifically, logically. But what does make sense is bring light into darkness. That's what peace is. See, a lot of us think that we will have peace when we are removed from the dark situation. But that's actually not how it works. What actually happens is God brings light into the dark situation. That's peace. That's Christmas. Christmas is the entrance of light. For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen what? A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. That's God. That's what God does. He shines light. We have to allow the light of peace to enter into our lives. Not try to escape, but to allow peace in. Think about Jesus' parable. Jesus, Jesus told a parable like this. Uh, you have a demon living in your house, and by house he meant in your life, in your heart. You have a demon living in your heart, and what do you do? You kick out the demon. And then what happens? Oh, the demon goes out into the wilderness and he finds seven buddies and he comes back with them and they all move in. And now you got eight demons. He goes on to say, here's what has to happen. When you kick the demon out, the strong man has to come in. And when the strong man comes in and takes over your house, no demons are moving in, are they? See, it's not just about removing darkness, it's about bringing in the light. Bringing in the strength, bringing in the power, bringing in the, the Prince of Peace into your life. 
Just on a very practical level, we say things like, this, this new year I'm going to lose weight. Right? I'm going to lose weight. We express it in the negative. Our life will be better if we lose something, if we get rid of something. Instead of saying, hey, this year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow healthiness in. And if I lose weight, great. And if I don't lose weight, great. Doesn't matter. Wouldn't that be like a much more healthy way to approach it? We have an addiction. We have a sin in our lives. And we obsess over how do I end the addiction? How do I get rid of the sin? I have to stop my sinning. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. No, that never works, does it? You don't get rid of sin by trying to get rid of obsessing over getting rid of sin. You get rid of sin by letting in the light. A greater desire has to overtake the lesser desire. That's how it works. Peace. Shalom. Shalom, the Hebrew word. Shalom in the Bible. Did you know that in the Bible, the word shalom is never expressed in the negative? In other, in other words, here's what I mean. It, it's never, it never, nowhere in the Bible does it ever says, you will have shalom when something negative goes away. It, ne- it never expresses that way. Shalom is always about the entrance of something. Shalom is always something that comes into your life. It always enters in. It's an entrance. Shalom always makes an entrance. Shalom means wholeness, well-being, flourishing, freedom, unhindered growth. It means that all's right with the world. It's the end of every version of a Christmas carol. Right? Scrooge, his heart is healed, he's giving everything away, Tiny Tim's going to be okay. Shalom. Shalom. See, we hear the word peace. You've heard the word peace. Our sermon series this Advent is about peace, and immediately you think absence of conflict, right? Peace is the absence of conflict. Listen, y'all, that's just the beginning. Shalom is way more than just the absence of conflict. Think about your salvation. What if your salvation was simply there's no more conflict between you and God? What if that's all your salvation was? God's like, okay, I forgive you. Bye. I'm not going to chase you down. I'm not going to hunt you down and kill you for all of your sin. But you can just kind of stay over there. That's not shalom, is it? Shalom is the absence of conflict, but it's also God bringing us into his life and light. He, he adopts us. He's Daddy Warbucks, bringing Annie home, and you're dancing around in the mansion. You with me? That's shalom. That's what God is offering to us. In the Bible, shalom is always relational. It's always relational. It's always about your relationship with God or the community's relationship with one another. Relational shalom. And then comes Isaiah 9, and Isaiah drops this bomb on us that shalom is a person. Shalom is a child. For unto us a child is born. You see, shalom is no longer subjective, it's objective. It's a person. 
Shalom is God. God is shalom. It's not just something He gives. It's who He is. Shalom is a, is a baby. Shalom is a king. That's what Isaiah 9 is telling us. Shalom is a baby. Shalom is a king. Shalom is not something we figure out on our own. It's not something we attain to. It's not something we achieve. It is something that is given to us. And listen, that's good news. That's good news. So where are you trying desperately to remove darkness or fear today? Where is your approach to life backwards? Yes, we all want shalom. We all want peace. We all, we all want something to tell us that our life has meaning. That's what, that's what peace is. That's what light is. We want hope. We want meaning. We want purpose. And I get it. All the unknowns. We live in, right now, we've, there's so much unknown this year, right? We can't plan. We can't plan Christmas break. We can't plan vacation. We don't, we don't know what tomorrow, as a, as a church, we don't know what next week they're going to tell us. We're literally living like a day at a time. And it's driving us nuts, isn't it? We've lost control. And that's just, that's just now. That's just in this moment. What about the bigger picture of your life? You had so many dreams. So many, you, know, you hear so many people say, my life does not look like what I thought it was going to look like. If I said, raise your hand if your life looks like what you thought it was going to look like when you were 18 or 19, I'll bet nobody's hand would go up. Right? This isn't what I planned. I'm not doing what I thought I was going to be doing. My marriage doesn't look like what I thought marriage should look like. My, my children, my, my parents, you know, my friendships. And so, we need peace. We need peace. But here's the problem. Number two. Number two. We all need peace, but we have no right to peace. We need it. We desperately need it. But we have no right to it. And guys, that's the message of Isaiah. That's what Isaiah is telling the people. He's telling them that they need it. He's also telling them you don't deserve it. You have no right to the shalom that you want. We need peace. Last week, Pastor Mark said he, he contrasted Jesus as a problem solver. Guys, can you click me to the next slide? The one that says need. There we go. Keep that one up there. Last week, Mark talked about he contrasted Jesus as a problem solver and Jesus as a savior. Do you remember that? I, told him, I, said, I said to him, I said, Mark, I wanted you to, I wanted you to drill into that more as, as I was sitting here listening to that sermon. I was like, can, can you develop that more? I'm going to try to develop it a little bit more <laughs> right now. We need peace. We need our problems solved. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we need. But what we really need is we need our sin problem solved. We need our sin problem solved. And the book of Isaiah is going to show us this. This picture up on the screen. When we look at prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, so I'm going to, I'll, go, I'll teach you a little, 
little hermeneutics, right? Little hermeneutics. How to read your Bible, how to study your Bible, right? We, we usually don't go back into the Old Testament pro- prophets a lot for our devotions and our daily reading, but if you do, this is important. It's important to remember that in Old Testament prophecy, it's almost, it's like you're looking at a mountain range. Have you ever been driving, maybe out west, the Rocky Mountains, and you can see mountain peaks, right? The Walcott family has driven past the Grand Tetons once, and you can see those majestic mountain peaks. And, and it kind of looks like all just one mountain when you're far away, and as you get closer, obviously, it, they space out, don't they? The mountain peaks, they could have miles and miles between them. And that's how your Old Testament is. In this one passage that, that we read this morning, there's at least three layers. So there's the near fulfillment of a prophecy. How will the prophecy be fulfilled right now for the people hearing Isaiah talk, reading what he's writing? But then there's a far fulfillment that comes as the first advent of Jesus Christ, and then as the second advent of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, you got your work cut out for you this morning. You got to remember all that about the mountain peaks, and I want you to remember over here, problems to solve, but the sin problem. We need a, we need a problem solver, and we need a savior. Okay, I want you to remember all of that. So when we look at the near fulfillment, when we look at that first mountain peak, we can see that they have a problem. The, the people of Judah in Isaiah's day, they have a problem. Do you remember from last week what the problem is? The Assyrians. The Assyrians are coming. The Assyrians are going to wipe out northern Israel, and then they're going to turn south, and they're going to come down, and they're going to wipe out Judah but they're not. That's Isaiah's message. There's hope for you, King Ahaz, king of Judah. There's hope for you. I'm not going to let the Assyrians destroy you. I am going to let them destroy Israel. I'm not going to let them destroy Judah. So back in Isaiah chapter 7, God says to King Ahaz, pick a sign. I'm going to spare you. Pick a sign. And Ahaz says, oh no, I would never pick a sign. I would never put God to the test. Kind of like, pick a card, any card, right? Go ahead, Ahaz, pick a card. And I'm not playing, Ahaz says. And God says, okay, I'll pick the card for you. And then we get that that classic verse that you've all heard before, right? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 7, 14. And you will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. The sign, the sign. Okay, so what is the near fulfillment of that sign? Well, in chapter 8, Isaiah says, my son will be a sign to you, his own biological son. So it says in the beginning of Isaiah 8 that Isaiah goes in and, and gets with his wife and they make a baby. And they name him Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. And he says, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, he's a sign to you. But is Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, the Isaiah 9, 6, 4, unto us a child is born child? Clearly not. Because Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, although he has the coolest name in Bible history, (laughs) he is not wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, or prince of peace, is he? 
He fades from history, doesn't he? You've never even heard of him till now. <laughs> so, God sends us these signs of peace, but they're just signs. They're just signs. They, they point to the ultimate peace. Along the way, the people, the people, they, they go after everything else but God. In chapter 8, verse 12, it says that they, they go after conspiracy. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. The word conspiracy there means alliances. Because King Ahaz, in order to protect himself from the Assyrians, he's going to team up with all these other little countries. If we all band together, we can fight off the, mega, the world mega power of Assyria. And Isaiah is saying, God is saying, don't do that. Don't join in conspiracies. Don't make alliances. And then later in, in chapter 8, he says in verse 19, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So do you see what's happening? The people, instead of turning to God, the this, this superpower is coming to destroy them. They have a problem. They have a legitimate problem, just like you. You have a legitimate problem. But where are they finding peace? They're finding peace by attaching themselves to things other than God. They're, they're attaching themselves to things or to ideas. You say, well, Brady, I, I don't make alliances with other countries, and I don't go to mystics. Okay, okay, maybe you don't. But what are you attaching your hope to today? Where is your peace going to come from today? What, what nightlights are you turning on in the dark? Cable news? Politics? Exercise? Soul cycle? Wellness? Astrology? Your family? There's a million things that we grab onto, isn't there? To take the place of God. If this gets solved, as long as this happens, I'll be okay. If my device works properly, I'll be okay. Come on now. Come on now. So that takes us to the far fulfillment. Remember that near fulfillment. What does it mean to them in the moment? But it points, Isaiah's prophecy points us to a far fulfillment, the entrance of Christ, the entrance of the child. Look at verse 2. The entrance of light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Look at verse 3. The entrance of joy. You have multiplied the nation. That's the entrance of other people, isn't it? The idea there is God's going to grow Judah. It's really a prophecy of the church. It's, it's a prophecy about the church, how Jesus will come and he'll bring the Gentiles into the fold. Other sheep I have. Not just you sheep, you're good sheep, but I got other sheeps. And I'm going to bring all the sheeps together. And I'm going to multiply the nation. It's the entrance, the entrance of joy. But look at this. They rejoice. Look at verse 3, everybody. They rejoice where? They rejoice before you. Do you see that? The entrance of God. 
the entrance of God. The entrance of light, the entrance of joy, the entrance of God himself. You're going to live before God, is what he's saying. You're going to live out your life in the presence of God. Wow. See, that's light, isn't it? That's hope. Then, verse 4, the oppression leaves. The yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, it's all been broken. Verse 5, then war leaves. Every boot of the tramping warrior, every garment rolled in blood, burned for fuel as fuel for the fire. Once the light and the joy and the presence of God come in, now the oppression leaves, now war leaves. You see? When we let in the light, the darkness is dispelled. And then verse 6, how? How is God with us? Isaiah 7, 14. How do we live our life before God? Verse 6, for unto us a mighty warrior is sent. For unto us, a great philosopher will walk the streets and... No. It's not what it says. What does it say? For unto us a... Wait for it, wait for it. A child. A child. The lowest, most, you know, Pastor Andrew said, neediness. God will come in the form of the neediest human type of human ever. A baby needs everything done for them. And that's what God will become for us. But He won't stay that way, will He? He will become our wonderful Counselor, all the wisdom of God. He will become our mighty God, all the power of God. He will become our everlasting Father, all the love of God, all the eternal security of God. And he will become our Prince of Shalom. The Prince of Shalom. All flourishing, all fullness, all harmony, all reconciliation. All problems solved. That's what you walk away from verse 7 with. Every problem solved. But we still have a problem. Isaiah hasn't, hasn't solved the biggest problem for us, has he? The sin problem. You see, before Jesus can solve all our problems, Jesus has to be our Savior, doesn't He? So you've got to keep reading in Isaiah. You've got to read a lot. You've got to read chapters and chapters and chapters, don't you? And eventually you get to Isaiah 53, where Isaiah says this about Jesus, his prophecy, another prophecy about Jesus. He says that He was pierced. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. His piercing, His crushing, His chastisement becomes our shalom, our peace. This is how the first advent satisfies the wrath of God, satisfies the sin debt that you have, that I have, and allows us to experience Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, 
All of those beautiful sentiments, they become ours because of the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ. For us. Peace with God so that we might have the peace of God. I invite you today, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, maybe you're listening to me today and all Jesus has ever been for you is a problem solver. I've listened to a lot of testimonies of a lot of Christians over the years. Tell me, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, Brady, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? How do you know that you're a Christian? Oh, because I used to be addicted to drugs and now I'm not. Oh, because my family used to be a wreck, but now it's not. Oh, because I was really, really sick and I prayed to God and God took, took the disease away and I'm healed. Okay, what you just told me, you just gave me three examples of Jesus as your problem solver. Praise God. He solved your problem. Praise God. But you did not tell me that Jesus is your Savior. Are you listening to me? There's a difference. Are you a Christian? Oh yeah, Brady, I'm a Christian. How do you know? Because once I was lost, and now I'm found. Once I was in the dark of sin, and now I am forgiven. Once I was in debt to God, and that debt has been paid. That's the answer. Is that your answer today? Has Jesus been your Savior? As, you know, Isaiah 53, was He pierced for your transgressions? Crushed for your iniquity? Chastised or punished for your peace? I pray He has. He has. <laughs> Have you received it is the question, right? Have you received it? Okay, but listen, peace has to be an entrance, doesn't it? Peace has to be an entrance. Isaiah 53, 5, is it, it, even that's not enough until it enters in. Like I just said, until we receive it. It has to be an entrance. And so, in between, in between the, those mountains, let's go back. Guys, click me back to the picture of the mountains. Let's look at this picture one more time. There we go. See, the, see that second mountain and that third mountain? The first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ? Christian, you're living between those two mountains. Do you understand that? Everybody go like this if you understand it. Okay. First advent of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, baby Jesus in a manger. Second advent of Jesus hasn't happened yet. So we are still in a season of advent, aren't we? We're still in a very real way. We're in a season of darkness. We, we live in a darkness still, don't we? We are the light in the darkness because we have the light of Christ in us. So here we go. We are living in between those two peaks, those two prophetic peaks, and there has to be an entrance of the light into our lives. How does that happen? It happens by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, what did He do next? He ascended, didn't He? He ascended. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that when Jesus ascended, He became a life-giving Spirit. 
And as a life-giving Spirit, the Holy Spirit now ministers the life and light of Jesus Christ to all who would receive it. To all who would receive it. So that Paul will say in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's an entrance. It's an entrance into our hearts. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1 with me, please. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. We read Ephesians chapter 1 as our gospel proclamation. Hopefully you were paying attention when Pastor Andrew read that. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 tells us all the, all the gifts of the Spirit, all the, all the blessings that are ours in Christ. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, entrance, the entrance of light and peace, because Christ is in us, we have the Holy Spirit. Verse Ephesians 1.13, in Him, in Him, entrance, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and believed in Him, I hope you believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do you see that, folks? Christian, do you understand that? That you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, now that we have the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to pray in verse 15. He prays for us. He prays for the church. And I'm going to show you that he's praying Isaiah 9. He's praying, he's praying for us to experience the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here we go. Here comes the prayer. Verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you entrance may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That He may give you the wonderful Counselor, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Verse 18, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the, look at this, the end of 18, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Everlasting Father. What does a father give a son? An inheritance, right? When Isaiah said, you're going to have an everlasting father, what comes with that? An everlasting inheritance. Eternal presence. Eternal life. Eternal glory. Eternal love. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Mighty God. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? Mighty God. We have the wonderful Counselor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God. Do you see it? Verse 20, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
and did what with him? What happened to Christ after he was raised from the dead? Seated him. Where? At his right hand. In the heavenly places. Prince. The prince is on his throne next to the king. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Prince of Shalom. Prince of peace. Christian, that's in you. Do you see it? It's even, it's even greater than the promise of God with us. Je- Jesus, flesh, fleshly Jesus was God with them, walking around, eating fish, walking on water. That was cool. But what you have is even better. You have God in us. Wonderful counselor in you. Everlasting Father in you, mighty God in you, Prince of Peace in you. Do you believe that? And then verse 7, the second advent. Isaiah, back to Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah 9. The second advent, that third mountain peak, second advent. of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's the day we look forward to, isn't it? King Jesus on a Davidic throne ruling over a kingdom of justice and righteousness forever. That's what we look forward to. That's our good news. And so, number three, where do we look for peace today? Where do we look for peace? First, where do we look for peace? We look up. We look up to God. The zeal, the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We look to God for our peace. God is the one who will accomplish all of this. God is the one who sent the child. God is the one who will send the king. God is the one who sent the spirit to indwell us. We look to God for our peace. We look up to him. His zeal will do this. It's it's literally the same Hebrew word as jealousy. The jealousy of God. He's jealous for you. He loves you so much. He's never going to quit until everything is right with the world. Until shalom. We look back to the first advent. We let forgiveness enter our hearts. We look back to the first advent of Jesus, his birth birth at Christmas, but beyond that, his death on the cross for us, him solving our sin problem, not, not just coming as our problem solver, but coming as our Savior. And then we look forward to Christ's second advent. We let his hope enter our hearts. We let his hope enter our hearts. Now, the hope of every problem solved is something that we can actually hope for. 
you won't be sick forever. You won't have cancer forever. Your relationships won't be so hard forever. You're not going to be financially strapped forever. You're not going to be stuck in a dead-end job forever. You're not going to fail to live up to all of your potential forever. There is a day coming when all of your problems will be solved if you have allowed Jesus to solve the sin problem. Then you will rule and reign with him forever. Every problem gone. And then finally, we look into our own hearts today. Where do we look for peace? Listen, Christian, Ephesians 1, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit is ministering shalom to you. Look into your own heart for peace. Look for Christ in your own heart. His wisdom, His power, His love, His security, His peace. Find it there. Find it in knowing that you are His and He is yours. And I'll just leave you with this thought. This is kind of just a takeaway, takeaway thought, that last, this last slide. When the peace of Christ rules your heart, Colossians 3.15, when the peace of Christ rules your heart, your problems can cease from being problems to solve. See, what's, what's stealing your peace today is that you see everything in your life as something to be solved. Right? Everything's a problem that needs to be solved. But when the peace of Christ rules your heart, it no longer is a problem to be solved. It's an opportunity to trust your Savior and love other people. If you can make this mindset shift, it, it will revolutionize your life. If you, can, if you can remember all that Christ has done for you, all that you're heading towards, Remember that the situations and the circumstance you're facing today, these are not problems to be figured out and solved. They're not, they're not jigsaw puzzles that God's laying out in front of you with a timer. Figure it out. Figure it out. No. They're opportunities. Opportunities to trust your Savior and love another person. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you, you are the greatest giver of peace. Truly, you are the only giver of peace. God, change our hearts. Change our hearts. May, may the gifts that you've given us, the little things that you've done, the, the blessings, the relational blessings, the successes, maybe it's, maybe it's um, success at work, maybe it's the hope of a vaccine, God, these are signs. These are, these are good signs, and, and you are kind to give them to us. They can offer us a little bit of hope and a little bit of peace. But God, may we see them for what they are. They are not ultimate hope and ultimate peace. And clearly, they are not our Savior. They don't take away our sin. And so God, today, Father, today, may you remind us that your peace is found in your Son, Jesus. Turn our hearts towards him, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.